0: Welcome to church. It's Vision Sunday, Uh, always exciting, and it's good to be back with you to to be able to share God's Word with you. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we pray that today it would not be my vision, the vision of the leadership team, even our vision. We pray that above all, it would be your vision, your vision for your beautiful bride, the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, It's going to be a bit interactive today, so I'm going to get you, uh, in a moment, to just with the people around you, uh, chat about these two photos I'm going to show you. So the first, can we get my slides up? The first photo, oh, that doesn't work anymore. First photo is that. What's going on there? Second photo is this. What's going on there? I'll put them side to side. All right, so you see, one and two. Why don't you chat with the people around just for a few seconds. They're not that hard. What's going on in these photos? Go for it. All right, time's up. They should be easy, right? Okay. What, what, what's photo number one? What's going on there? It's an Asian party. All right. Because why? Because Asian people leave their shoes outside the door. So it looks like a jolly mess, but it's actually probably because there's a bunch of people in the house. Or that's pretty much a picture of my house all the time because I have four kids. So shoes everywhere all the time. What about the second picture? What's going on there? It's a Greek wedding. Because at Greek weddings, what do they do? They smash plates to celebrate. Now, here's the thing, right? Culturally, if you know about these or if you are in them, like for a lot of people here, the first picture is so obvious because we leave our shoes out the door. We understand what's going on. Probably for more of us, uh, we've never experienced a Greek wedding. We might have heard about it. And so you're not really sure what the second picture is about. It's a celebration. It's a wedding. These are cultural differences. And we know what that's like. So today we're going to talk about culture. So what is culture? What is culture? Well, culture, someone has helpfully defined as the common set of assumptions, attitudes, values and beliefs and behaviors of a particular group of people. And of course, it's most often seen in national or ethnic groups of people. Uh, so apparently in, in, in Central Asia and, the Middle, and some parts of the Middle East, hospitality means something totally different to what we're used to. Like in those countries, you could be a complete stranger and they would not just invite you to their home to have a meal with them, they would give you the best food. They have one lamb that they own as a family and you're a complete stranger, they would slaughter that lamb to feed you. Like, can you imagine that? But that's normal culture for people of uh, certain parts of the world. Or who's heard of the term islander time? Oh, I call them Malaysia time. Anyway, um, not quite the same. But Islander time, if you know people from the Pacific Islands, they have, like, you're like, why are they always late? And why do things always go over time? Well, quite frankly, it's because Pacific Islanders don't look at time the same way as we do. They're happy for things to start late, they're happy for things to go way over time. That's why we call it Islander time. Again, cultural things. But here's the thing, though. Culture is not always easy to identify, and so many people who live in a dominant culture will think everyone else is different, but this is just the way we do things around here. And they forget that there are actually a lot of cultural things about how they do things. That's why culture is not always easy to identify. Or someone once called culture the silent language, right? It's a silent language. Everyone speaks it in a particular group, but they don't speak it out loud, and so sometimes it's not easy to notice. But sometimes you uh, notice what a cultural thing is when you breaking that will have consequences. Okay, breaking that normal or that uh, attitude, assumption, value, belief will have consequences. I'll give you an example: talking while eating, talking while chewing. Right now, in the West, culturally, that is a you can't do that. But in the East, in a lot of Asian cultures, that's just how we do dinner, right? We're talking, we're eating, our mouths are open, we're chewing, food flying everywhere, whatever. That's part of the fun of eating together. So you know, in the West, this was a cultural thing, that not talking while chewing. And when you break that, there are consequences, okay? Whereas in the East, not part of that. So that's, Sometimes how we find out what culture is. But it's not just countries, it's not just nationalities and ethnicities, Ethnicities, it's any group of people. Any group of people, sometimes even a small group of people, will have assumptions, attitudes, values, beliefs and behaviours that are like culture. So, families. Families and homes. And even if you uh, live on your own, there are going to be ways in which you do things that you probably inherited off the families you grew up in. So I want you to back in your little groups of pairs, just chat about what are some things, practices, values, behaviors that, are, that you do or the family of origin you came from that you don't necessarily see in other families. Okay, what are some of those things? Have a chat about that. So I wonder what you came up with. So I, I, I know there's going to be some really interesting ones out there. Uh, hey, anyone anyone want to dob in one? Maybe one that you said or one that someone else said? Just any, any kind of particularly quirky, unique ones. I'd love to hear it. What are some of those? Anyone? Anyone brave enough? The red's not offering one. She's just... Yes, Trevor. Ali likes to put the dishes in the sink, but I hate it. I only put it on the side, so I don't have to... Really okay, so, <laughs> so, the, so in your family, you wouldn't have put it um, in the sink, the dirty dishes, yeah. and uh, in her family that she's from, obviously, they put it in, you put it on the side, yeah, that's one, one difference, other differences. Yes, Brett? On my side of the family, all family events like Christmas, whatever, they're all optional, which means no one comes, whereas on the side, it's mandatory. It. Okay. It's Family events, are they optional? Are they mandatory? Uh, meal times is another classic one. Like, some families, like, we all have to be there eating together around the dining table. Other families, like, eat in front of the TV, in your rooms, wherever. It doesn't matter. Okay? What are, what are some other ones? Any other ones? Interesting ones? Yep, Anson? Uh, I'm not sure it's exactly unique, but my family, if you don't let Grandma know by 2 p.m. you're not here for dinner, you're not going out for <laughs> Oh, okay. You've got to let Grandma know by 2 p.m. Yeah. or you're not going out. Okay, there you go. you got to be planned in that family. That's, that's great. You get in big trouble. Yeah. Um, apparently, in some traditional Italian families, the, uh, the daughters aren't allowed to get married until the oldest ones have been married first. So if your daughter number two or three and, daughter, and your big sister hasn't been married, you're not allowed to get married. Wow, that's pretty harsh, eh? Okay, um, but it's not just families, right? Uh, companies have culture. You've moved companies and moved jobs. They have different kinds of culture, different practices and values. Schools have different cultures. Universities have different cultures, and of course, churches churches have different cultures. And that's what we're here to talk about. And you really notice that when you are new or when you are visiting another church, you pick up that there are different church cultural different uh, there are different church cultures. So um, during um, the holidays we just had, I went to, and visited a church in Taipei in Taiwan. And in this church, uh, the people up front were all young and good-looking. Their clothing was casual, but kind of really stylish, right? Really stylish. Um, The music was full band. There were, like, lights. It was like a concert. And it was concert loud. In fact, in the first few rows, they would give people earplugs. Now, in some churches, if you, and even in ours, if you introduce that kind of music or even those kind of clothing you would probably get complaints because it's a different church culture. So today I want to ask the question on Vision Sunday, what's our vision for SWEC culture? What assumptions, attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors do we want for our church? Now, of course, they need to be biblical and godly because you can't have cultural elements that are sinful and disobedient. And there's some are, and some are in churches, in our church even, that you don't want, right? Right. Uh, Some churches will have a real culture of gossip, or maybe a culture of bullying, or a culture of arrogance, or a culture of favoritism. You don't want them. But it's more than just avoiding the negative, right? Positively, we want to aim for distinctive and specific things that really can be us, be us as a body of Christ. And they may be quite different to another good church that might be meeting somewhere else down the road, perhaps. Perhaps. And so, obviously, there are common values, such as love for one another, or valuing the Bible, or prayer, or being welcoming and caring. They're all great values. When it comes to talking about church culture that identifies, that we want to kind of make ours, we want to be a little bit more specific than those, don't we? Now, the early church in Jerusalem, from that passage that Bill read for us, that gives us a glimpse of the—that is the earliest church, by the way, that was the first church to ever exist— Um, The kind of culture that they had. So again, for a couple of minutes, just talk with the people around you. Just a passage we just read earlier. I put some of it on screen. What would you say was their church culture from that passage? probably noticed a few things that are quite obvious, yeah? They were a really prayerful culture, really bold. They spoke the Word of God boldly. But probably one thing that was really unique, and I suspect wasn't the case with all churches in the early church, was how united this group of people was and how generous they were. They were so united and so generous that no one had any needs among them because they just shared everything. This is not a primer for uh, for communism. And it probably was not the case, almost definitely, that wasn't the case that every church was like that. But in this church, that was their distinctive church culture. If you had gone to the church in Jerusalem around 33, 34 AD, that would have been distinctive for them. So today, I want to introduce um, a vision for our culture at SWEC. And I want to introduce four values that we would really do well to lean into in the coming year. And I'm, I'm praying and we're praying as pastors. Uh, hopefully for the years to come. Now, I didn't choose four random things. These four have been chosen because in some ways they are already part of SWEK, okay? So some of them it won't sound unfamiliar at all. They're already part of us, but they're the kind of things that are good, but only there in part, and we'd really want to fan them into flame even more so that they actually become just the way we do things around here. So when people come to SWEK, they notice these distinctive things about us, about SWEC. So I've made four things, and I've made them short and specific and memorable. And I'm hoping that you can remember them even just from today. All right? So what are they? I'll just run through them first, and then we'll go through them one by one. So the first one is this, head, heart, and hands. Now, right, you've heard that before. We say this all the time. Informed by the word, transformed for the world. The big, the big stuff is the important one that to remember. Head on hands. The next one is partners, not passengers. Because in church and mission, everyone gets to play. The third one is this. God's heart is our heart. And that's for the neighbors, the needy, and the nations. And the last one is Jesus is worth it. Because we want to hold nothing back in living and giving. Okay, I'm going to go through them one by one. And I'm also going to show you an example from a first century church that sort of embodies it. All right, so let's go the first one, head, heart, and hands. And this one is about how we value the Word of God, informed by the Word, transformed for the world. And a really good example of this one is the church in Thessalonica, which is in modern Greece. But it's one Thessalonians, have a look there with me. Paul says, We always thank God for all of you, continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's word or message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. That's pretty obvious, right? This church received the word, it bore fruit, and then they spread the word. Uh, this is a church that took God's Word seriously, head, heart, and hands. See, we do not want to be a church that is just intellectual at the expense of deep affections. We don't want to be a church also that's just emotional, but gullible and intellectually shallow. Or to have lots of knowledge and feeling, but have no change or social action. Or lots of social action. But like some churches and organizations that started well, they've got the social action part, but they're not even biblical anymore. Right? As SWEC, we want to take head, heart, and hand seriously. So firstly, we take head seriously. And by the way, don't take this for granted. Right? That we take understanding and knowing the Bible seriously. Do you know, if you, especially if you came to Catalyst Conference, which is just the last few days... If you've been through some of the stuff in Catalyst Conference or, you know, other equivalent conferences, do you know you would probably know more about God's Word than many pastors in some countries do, right? We have the privilege and the kind of training that some pastors in country, in some countries would just die to have, and, and ordinary believers get to have it week in and week out and through things like conferences and books. So don't take that for granted, right? The head side of things now that i'm not going to have to go on about because that is probably pretty easy for us in our particular kind of christianity in sydney but we also want to take the heart seriously don't we we, we want to never shy away by uh, from being deeply affected by the word of god and we want to be able to experience and express the emotions that come with knowing god's word emotions like joy or compassion or grief or indignation, or being deeply moved by worship and by the Word of God and by each other. Because information alone never transformed anyone. For transformation to happen, it's got to go deep into our hearts, affect our desires and our wills. So, heart. But it also must translate into transformed hands. See, like the Thessalonians, the Word needs to impact us, and go out from us yeah the world doesn't need more christians with just a lot of knowledge or just a lot of emotions it needs christians to be the hands and feet of jesus now i'm not telling you anything you don't know in fact head heart and hands is probably the one that you've heard the most from just by and by but i want to apply it personally and then apply it corporately with us so personally have a think about this i think we all lean naturally towards one or two of those but probably not no one here would lean equally towards all three right Think about it, head, heart, and hands. Which one do you? Which one or ones do you lean more towards? Which means there's at least one or two that you will naturally neglect. Yeah, I mean, for me, I lean pretty heavily to the head side of things, and I lean, uh, I tend to neglect the hands side of things. But you, for you, it might be the opposite. So, personally, how you apply this is just have a think. Okay, there's going to be ones that you naturally lean towards. You don't have to do too much with that, but the one you neglect. What might it mean for you, even in the coming year, in your study of the word, in your worship, in your time with God, right, to, to, to lean a bit more into that? Because that's gonna be the one you neglect so that you can redress, you know, address that imbalance. Have a think, what does that look like for you? It'd be different for different people. So that's personally, corporately. What we're gonna be doing, and Sorry, if you are a service leader or a, or a worship team leader, sorry, a band leader or a production team member, we've got training this afternoon to deal with some of these specific things. But in our worship gatherings this year, we want to incorporate more testimonies, more stories, right? Because our stories really help bring out, it's not just head, but it's heart and hands. We're going to be encouraging more time for response after the sermon. That could be simply chatting with the person next to you, praying together or something, but we want to do that. In our community groups here this year, we're also going to right, help the group leaders develop more time so that you don't just have a Bible study, as important as Bible study is, but that the time you have together as a community group, there'll be a lot of time helping each other apply God's Word, speaking about the things that are on our hearts and praying for each other and allowing God's Word to transform us and go deep into us and not just be an intellectual exercise of understanding a passage better. So we're going to do that in our community groups. Which means, by the way, if you're not here regularly on a Sunday, if you're not in a community group, you're going to really miss out. So please join. Let Pastor Marshall or um, Stephen or Brett know if you aren't part of a community group. Okay, so that's head, heart, and hands. That's pretty easy to remember. So next one, though. Partners, not passengers. Partners, not passengers. Now, for this one... I'm going to give you a bible passage of a church but this is a church you don't want to be like okay this is a negative example now the passage is positive uh but it's from one corinthians and the reason why i say it is because when paul wrote one corinthians to the church in ancient corinth he wrote it because they're not like this and they ought to be like this all right but what does he say look at look there with me one corinthians 12 just as a body though one has many parts but all its parts Form one body, so it is with Christ, skip ahead to verse 15, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were a ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. As I said, it's clear from the rest of this letter, 1 Corinthians, that the church in Corinth were actually the opposite of what Paul commanded, okay? Because they were not a church where everybody got to play. There were a church where only some got to play and they made others feel left out or they looked down on others. Now, thankfully, Sweck is not like that. It really isn't. But even in our church community, not everyone gets to play, do they? Not everyone is a part and knows their part in this body. But it may be due to other reasons. See, maybe you're a passenger because... That's all you've ever known from church life. Or maybe you're a passenger and you didn't used to be at the church you used to go to, but as you've come to this church, for one reason or another, you've just kind of settled into just being a passenger. Or maybe you were involved in this church and you just kind of think, nah, I I want to be a passenger again. For whatever reason, right? you just got used to being a passenger or you're in passenger mode. See, church is not something you come to. And it's not a body that you are a vital member of. That may be the reason why you're not part of uh, this picture of everybody gets to play. Or maybe for you, it's you just don't know how to get involved. You don't know what part you can play. Maybe you feel like you're not gifted enough, or you're too young, or you're too old, or you're too new. But for whatever reason, at SWEC, here at 11 o'clock, not everyone is playing. So let me again apply this personally and then corporately. So personally, if you are a passenger or have decided you just want to be a passenger again for whatever reason, let me encourage you lovingly, for your sake, as well as for the sake of our culture as a church, what is just one little step you can take this year to be an active member? It doesn't have to be upfront, it doesn't have to be visible. All right, but what's one step you can take to be an active member? Because the body has many parts, but every part has got to play its role. So volunteer, have a go. Come and talk to, again, Pastor Marshall, Brett, Stephen, your CG leader, and say, hey, I don't know what I can do, but I'd like to do something. How can I be involved? Or how can I be involved again? So that's personally. If you're currently a passenger, take a step. How about Corporately. Well, if you are already an active member, and that's lots of you, by the way, lots of you already serving, serving so much above and beyond, let me encourage you to do this. Think of someone you can bring along with you in your ministry this year, someone you can bring alongside with you. So, you're on the welcoming team, just to find someone, maybe someone new, someone younger and say, hey, you know what, next week, just come a bit early with me and let's greet people together. You're on the sound desk in production hey, you know what, you, do you want to have a go at doing this, yeah? Uh, you're uh, leading a, a community group. Take some turns and say, you know what, this, team, this term, we're going to actually share the leading around. So some of you get a go. Like, the point is, if you're an active member, you're already involved, one of the best ways you can encourage each other, not just by your example, is by actually taking someone alongside with you. So will you do that? Will you do that? Okay. Test your memory. What was the first one? Head, heart, and hands. Head, heart and hands. Okay. The second one is up, up there. Partners, not passengers. The third one, God's heart is our heart. See, we want to be a church that keeps looking outwards towards our neighbors, the needy, and the nations. Now, the great example of this is the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch in the book of Acts is truly the first missionary church to the nations, and it was the first church that were Gentiles, predominantly not Jewish. So let's have a look at some of the verses around that. Acts 11, uh, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, Saul who would be known as Paul later on. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. All right, you got that? This church was immediately uh, active and thought about the needy, the needy back in Jerusalem. And so they sent gifts to them. But more than that, it was a church that became a launching pad for mission to the nations, it wasn't just the neighbors and the needy, it was the nations. So, Acts chapter 13, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaen, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It's not exaggerating to say without Antioch we would not be here. Now, without the church in Antioch being mission-minded and nation-minded, there would be no Christianity beyond Jewish Christianity. Now, again, if you've been part of SWEC for any amount of time, you'll know that this is a real big feature. The global missions is a real big feature. Reaching unreached people groups a real big feature of what we do and who we send. But this year, we need to take that a step further. And we need to take that a step further because... In the grace of God, the people that we've sent and the people that we can send in the future, quite frankly, we need to meet their financial needs, right, a lot more. Currently, what happens is this. Uh, There is a percentage, a 10% from our general budget, general giving that goes towards our mission partners. And for the last 15 years, that's been okay. But it's become a bigger and bigger gap between their needs and the number we're supporting and that 10% being able to cater for it. Now, we're going to speak more about this next week because we're going to hear a a little bit more about the biblical um, principle and advice towards giving and giving in general as well as giving more specifically. But one thing we're going to do this year, I'm just going to flag it this week and leave it with you so that we come back to it next week, is we need to actually start a global missions fund. A global missions fund that's going to meet the other half that's not currently being met by that 10% we set aside. And it literally is about a half. So about half of their needs of our mission partners is being met through the 10%, and about another half, roughly 44,000 a year, we're currently not able to meet. We would love to be able to say to our mission partners, look, here's the 10%, which we're still going to have, but look, we can also, through pledges, this year, we can also meet more of your financial needs. And so that's going to be a pledging system. We're going to talk about it next week. We're going to get you to have a think and pray about if you can pledge towards the Global Mission Fund on top of what you already give towards the general um, church budget if you're a regular. But the point is, this will enable us to be able to reach the nations better, not just now for the people we support, but God willing, for more of you, as some of you God will call to reach the nations, we want to be able to send you. But if we keep working on just the 10%, Right? That's going to be very hard to send all the people we want to send. So, there you go. I'm going to leave that with you, and we're going to talk about it more next week. But God's heart is, of course, also for those who are much closer than the nations around us, uh, the nations outside of us. So, it's the neighbors and the needy. Now, it's a great thing because Sweck Kingsgrove, you guys are um, getting involved in food distribution this year and ESL teaching. Over in Bankstown, we have ESL teaching. We also have the Lunar New Year store. Um, There are ways to get involved, to be a light for Jesus to neighbors and needy. And I hope you're involved in that corporately. But personally, what's one way you can apply this? God's heart is your heart. How can you apply this? Here's a really helpful way of thinking about it that I've been challenged by. It's simply to pray that God will give you different eyes to see. Pray that God's heart would be your heart. It's it's ultimately a heart change thing. And that involves looking with different eyes. And I'll tell you how it works. You see, everyone in our world, including us, including me, we are here for what we can get. And here is various things. So most people live in a particular city, in a little particular suburb, in a particular neighborhood because of what they can get out of it. Because of the schools, or the security, or because of the wealth, or because of the house. It's what you can get. You visit the certain shops because of what you can get. You are part of different schools because of what you can get. The marks, right, the degrees in universities. You're, you choose to go to particular companies because of what you can get. Your money, your career. And then you'll move schools, move suburbs, move companies, because, well, this no longer gives you what you want. But our whole mindset everywhere we are isn't it naturally what can i get what if we had god's heart and we stopped asking only what can i get but what can i give you see god doesn't get involved in any part of our world because of what he can get it's always what he can give and so imagine if you stop thinking about your company as just something you can get as much career, and money out of, but people that you can invest in, or schools, or your neighborhood. You go to the shops down the road. It's not just what you can get, but these are real people created in the image of God. How can you give? Or your city, or your suburb, or Kingsgrove. Not just what you can get, but what you can give. I need that. Like, I'm so selfish, right? And probably you are too. We, we check out when we don't get enough. We move schools, we move churches, we move suburbs, because we don't get anymore. But what if we started thinking, no, not what I can get, what I can give. Let's just start with that. Now, the practical implications of that, well, God will work it out. All right? Pray that God will give us that heart. What can I give? And because God's heart is for those who are outside, we need to be a church where it's normal to send and to give our best, even when it costs us. So that will lead to my next one, but... By way of recap, what was the first one again? Hit on, hands. Hit on hands. Second one. Partners, not passengers. Third one. God's heart is our heart. Last one and the most important one. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And the best example of this are the churches in the region of Macedonia, uh, which if you um, have read the book of Philippians, includes the church in Philippi. But look what Paul says about these people. Amazing churches. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently begged us, is the word, begged us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. That's giving financial aid to the famine people in Jerusalem that we talked about earlier. These were poor churches. They had nothing. And they said to Paul, I know we haven't got a lot, but please, please allow us to give. Let us give. And so this last one is the most important because it gets at the heart of the gospel, doesn't it? It's all about Jesus and what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. Because if we have God's heart, it'll be costly If we want to change our culture, it'll be costly. But we always want to remind ourselves that Jesus is worth it. 100%. Absolutely always worth it. And why is Jesus worth it? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Why did the Macedonian churches give out of their poverty? Because they knew Jesus, and they knew that Jesus did that, and they knew that Jesus was worth it. Next week, when we talk about the Global Missions Fund, remember, it's not instead of your support for the church that you belong to, it's on top of that. Why would you do that if you're already generous and give generously? Why would you even consider, by the way, it's not compulsory, no one's going to check up on you, but if you wanted to, why why would you do that overflowing above and beyond generosity, you would only do that because you knew that Jesus was worth it, right? Or moving from being a passenger to a partner, taking that step is going to cost you time and energy. A lot of ministry with people, quite frankly, can sometimes break your heart. Why would you do that? Because Jesus is worth it. Or really going deep into God's Word, whether it's head, heart, or hands, so that none, no aspect of my life becomes unexamined, uncommitted, untouched by God and His Word, that will be painful. Because you can't be complacent. You can't be doing this solo either. You've got to do it with each other. Why would you even consider doing that? Because Jesus is worth it. As you know, uh, we've had a lot of weddings in our church community recently. And even the last year, we've had multiple. And let's Let's be honest, especially if you've been a groom or you've been a groomsman. Honestly, guys, it's so much harder for the bride, isn't it? The day of the wedding, preparing. Like, it really is. Like, let's be honest. Um, On the day of my wedding, wedding was at 1 p.m. I stayed over at my best man's house. We got up at 9. Then we went to the golf range and hit 50 balls. (laughs) Then we came back, took our time, had breakfast, brunch, got changed, rolled over to the church. Karen was up at 4 a.m. for a 1 p.m. wedding so that she can get her makeup done and her hair done and all that kind of stuff. And that's usual, and that's almost all the, always the case for the bride. Now, why do you brides do this? Why go through all the trouble? Why is it worth it? It's because every one of you want to look your absolute best. And I can tell you, your husbands or husbands-to-be, right, they're so grateful that you took the time to do that because I can see their smiles when you're walking up the aisle. There's nothing quite like it when they see you revealed with all that 4 a.m. stuff. That, and you know, it's worth it because you look radiant and beautiful. Well, friends, you know that the church is Jesus's bride. You know that, right? That's what the Bible says. We are the bride of Christ. There is a wedding day coming when Jesus returns, when we will be married to our husband for eternity. And does not Jesus deserve a beautiful bride on that day? The bride he shed his blood for. The bride he loves and treasures and cherishes. The bride he feeds with his word and his spirit. And it's our job not just to be that bride. It's our job to prepare each other to be that bride. We want to be a church. That is beautiful for our Lord Jesus. And part of the way we do that is working on church culture. So, in conclusion, what are they? Firstly, head on hands. hands. Secondly, thirdly, God's heart is our heart. And last of all, Jesus Jesus is worth it. Let's get ready to sing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for Jesus because he is worth it. Make Sweck the church that values these things, not for our own sake, but because you value them. So give us your heart. May it be our heart. Help us to be partners, not passengers, in mission and in church. And may your word today and every other time we open your word be more than just head but go deep into our hearts and affects our hands, all for the glory of Jesus in the coming year and until he returns for his beautiful bride. Amen.